once it was taken care of. What do you mean? They killed him. Somebody killed him. They grabbed him from someone. They killed him. Hello and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel. This is episode 19. This is going to be a continuation of what we were talking about last week. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend you listen to it before you listen to this one. But again, your life, your decisions. So last week we were talking about MK Ultra, which led us down the road of the Franklin cover-up. Um, interesting enough, I've... I started going down that rabbit hole again, which I went down many, many years ago, and I started listening to interviews of those victims um, of the Franklin cover-up. They were interviewed by this gentleman named Gary, uh, C-A-R-A-D-O-R-I, who was actually murdered with his son in a plane crash after he interviewed all these victims. Um the interview you just listened to is Paul um, Bonacci, is how I say his name, but it's B-O-N-A-C-C-I. And I do feel like he's a key to a lot of unsolved cases. And I'm going to find out before this episode's over if he is still alive or not. Um, so when I heard this particular interview, the, it started with him saying, if you didn't hear that clearly, he said they really hurt this kid. He was kidnapped. He was from someplace in Idaho. It was, I think, in 1985, and it was sometime in June. And so when he was saying that, I, I wrote it all down. I was like, Jeremy, 1985, Idaho. And right after that uh, interview, I decided to do a little Google search and see if anybody named Jeremy in Idaho was kidnapped. And what I came across was this young boy named Jeremy Bright, who in fact was kidnapped, not in Idaho, but the neighboring state of Oregon um, in the 1986 in August. And I'm going to play you more of this interview from Paul, but he goes on to say, well, maybe it was September and he wasn't real sure of the year. You know, he knew it was in 85, but it could have been 86. And then by the end, he was like, well, his name was Jeremy, but it could have been Jake. Like, he was just very confused. Now, mind you, this boy at the time was under severe distress, and he was also a victim of multiple personality, um, which happens when you are severely abused. So he was talking from all different places. Now, he has interviews later on with a different guy, 
Um, and I haven't got through all those, but he at this time has integrated his personalities. If you don't know anything about split personality, um, they call it multiple personality. Uh, there's a, also another term for it. I noticed I'm saying a lot today, so excuse me for that, but I'm not going to edit that out. But there, there are ways to integrate, and Kathy O'Brien talks about that. Paul talks about that. Um, and it's basically they, they break these kids through satanic ritual abuse at a very young age, and their personalities um, split so they are able to deal with life. So, you know, they have the forerunner that goes through everyday life at school, let's say, and then they have the kid when that abuser comes in that switches to that person so they can handle that, that abuse they're going through. It's a very interesting thing, the, the way the mind works. So Jeremy Bright, he's such a cute kid. If you Google him, adorable. I'll actually put him on my cover. And um, he was at a fair the day he went missing, and he had just moved to, I believe it was Grants Pass, Oregon when he turned up missing. And this was a kid's day, quote unquote, at the fair. Now I found a lot of kids go missing at fairs, which I guess doesn't surprise me, nothing does anymore. But all in all, you think that fairs are a safe place to be, especially in 1986. But apparently the predators were out. And this got me going all the way back to the first kidnappings. It, it seems that the first kidnappings were done by rich socialite type people for ransom. And then we get deeper into this this uh, pedophile ring with the Franklin cover-up. And that, that has some deep roots. And not only was it in Omaha, Nebraska, those webs of pedophilic disgust flew across the United States and it probably touched down in most states. And I'm noticing that most of these kids that go missing are in the 1980s and they're teenage boys and it's the Johnny Goshes, it's, you know, the Jeremy Brights, it's, it's crazy. And I also truly believe after researching Jeremy's case that his body can be found somewhere in California. Because it sounds to me that's where he was murdered. And I could be completely wrong, but it, it just, it, he's the only Jeremy that went missing in the 1980s. And once I researched the case, they were, they were saying, yeah, even his sister, Esty, who was there and who I wish to interview someday, was saying, they were saying, she reported him missing right away. He was supposed to go meet her at five o'clock at the Ferris wheel. He called his mom about picking him up the next day. He was there, you know, staying with his stepfather, who was a lumberjack guy who worked long hours. And five o'clock comes and, and no Jeremy. And he was a very reliable kid. It was out of character. And initially, it was reported that someone kidnapped him from the Ferris wheel and he was kicking and screaming. And I truly, after listening to the rest of Paul's story, believe that was our Jeremy. And then they go and the media says, oh, no, no, it's not that, it's not that. And you know why I believe that happened? Because it's all connected. These these police officers, there's good ones, there's bad ones. And a lot of them, let's say, they get told, hey, we have this kid. Sh shut it up. Like, don't look our way or whatever. It's, it's not a kidnapping. He's a runaway, which happened. And it's like 30 years have gone by with a mother looking for her child with no answers. It, and it's not fair. It's not fair. And I am so passionate about this because my life could have been a Jeremy situation in one second. 
It, that's all it takes is one second. I was walking home from a school bus. I've told you all the story before, but for those of you that this you're brand new here, welcome. But I in the 1990s, it was the same exact time as um, the LA riots, and I believe that was in '93. And I was walking home from my friend's school bus because I didn't have to take a school bus because I live close enough. So I'd take her bus to her stop and then walk home alone to my house. And I usually did that on this dirt road um, that to the right side of me was a body of water and it was called the New York Canal and it's in, in Boise, Idaho and it was right by my house. And the road I walked on was a service road. So nobody was on it. I had to jump a fence to get on it. You weren't supposed to be on it because if you fell on that canal, you'd be goners within minutes because you couldn't get out. Concrete walls on both sides, lots of turning water. It was known you were gone if you died, if you fell on that canal. So, you know, kids did not play in that canal. We knew better. So I'm walking home and I have to pee really bad and I have my legs kind of crossed, you know, where you walk, where the left foot's in front of the right and you're kind of shuffling along and... I was looking at flowers and butterflies because the weeds and the wild, wild fire, I almost said fires, wild flowers were blooming and the butterflies were all over and it was so pretty. And I got right to the entrance where my house was. So there was, you know, up a hill was the canal and then you'd have to go down the hill to our dead end cul-de-sac road. And I had got to that point where I had just jumped another fence Speaking of, when I jumped that fence, I looked down and there happened to be this black man walking up the street. And I didn't think much of it except for the L.A. riots because that was a whole, you know, thing about Rodney King and all that. And so I thought, oh, and, and I lived in Idaho where there wasn't a lot of color skin. And so I was like, oh, look, L.A. riot. Like in my little 14-year-old brain, that's what I thought. And I'm, please don't come for me. I'm not racist at all. I promise. I love all. We all bleed the same. I've said that a thousand times. I do not care what color your skin is. But I did notice he was a black man at the bottom of the road. And I jumped the thing, the fence, and thought nothing of it. And I was shuffling along. And I got to where I needed to go down the hill. And I turned around. And that man that was at the bottom of the hill must have ran his little tushy off because he was right behind me. And he asked me if I knew where somebody lived. And I that triggered a red flag moment for me because my mom always told me if somebody asks you weird questions or offers you candy or want to come look at their puppy, do not do it. And I just had that instinct and I said, what? And he went to ask me again and I took off running towards my house and I started screaming at the top of my lungs and that man started chasing me. And he got about halfway down that hill when my mom popped her head out the window, saw me screaming. He stopped because he saw that he was busted and turned around and took off. We called the police and never found him. Years later, I'm watching Forensic Files. And there's a man, and I Googled this before my, cl my class, my episode today, but I could not find it. Um, but there was this man, and I saw it on Forensic Files when I, in the early 2000s, who was following girls home from bus stops in Oregon and eventually murdered some after sexually assaulting them. He looked exactly like the guy, my guy, exactly. And at that time I watched the show, I wrote his name down, but I cannot find for the life of me who that was. I Googled Oregon bus stop cases. I could not find it. But anyways, so I often think of that day and I often think if that one move, my life would be complete different if I even had a life 
I could be dead. I don't know. He did. The guy in Oregon eventually killed girls. First, he was just raping him. Maybe that would have just happened. But you know what? That just is a horrid thing I would have to live with for the rest of my life. So I feel like kidnapping is is something, one, that the parent can never get over, but two, I couldn't even imagine not knowing where my child was for the rest of my life. Like, I don't know if I could live just with that burden. I really, really don't. And so I'm doing this case today and covering it because I want to shed light on Jeremy's life. And even if this isn't the same Jeremy that Paul's talking about, it's a lead that should be looked at. And if Paul, all he has to do, if he's still alive, is look at a picture of Jeremy and say, that was the boy I'm talking about here, or it's not. And and that's it. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you a little bit about Jeremy, and then I'm going to play you the rest of Paul's testimony, which, warning, it's very gruesome and very hard to hear. And as a mother, I don't know if I'd want to hear it, to be honest. I did contact or tried to contact Jeremy's mom via email. But I don't even know if I emailed the right email. I just found an email that looked like it could be hers. Same first and last name in Florida. Uh, tried. Haven't heard any, anything back. But that was just last week. Because I do feel like this is a case um, where a lot of dots are being connected. And I do feel like we're in a time where God wants all things to be revealed. So people can move on and 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 just we need to change this world. We really do. And it starts with one small step, right? Okay, here we go. Jeremy Donald Bright, born May 25th, 1972, disappeared August 14th, 1986. He's a teenager who disappeared under mysterious circumstances while attending the Coos County Fair in Myrtle Point, Oregon. At the time of his disappearance, he resided in Grants Pratt, Grants Pass and had been visiting a family in Myrtle Point on August 14, 1986, is when he attended the Coos County Fair with his younger sister. During the day, the two separated, but Bright failed to meet her that afternoon at the Carnival's Ferris Wheel. Several witnesses reported seeing Bright forcibly removed from the area by an unknown man, though these sightings were not confirmed. Initially, local law enforcement suspected foul play in Bright's case. However, Within the week following his disappearance, several reported sightings of him in the area led detectives to reverse this decision, and he was temporarily classified as a runaway. Numerous numerous theories and rumors circulated in Myrtle Point following his disappearance, which were detailed in the 1989 segment of NBC's Unsolved Mysteries. I'm going to stop right there real quick. If if you all don't know... (laughs) Have you ever heard that John Walsh isn't that great of a dude? Yeah. He's, he's as, as we speak right now, I used to love John Walsh in America's Most Wanted. And his daughter right now, Megan Walsh, has been speaking up about her brother Adam's case. And once she started doing that, John Walsh legally kidnapped her children through the foster, uh, yeah, through the foster care or CPS system, child protective system. And she's speaking about it. I'll do that episode next week because that needs to be talked about. So when I learned that he's kind of like a shady dude and all that was kind of a money grab and I don't even really know what happened to Adam and I kind of think he was involved and that's a whole like my opinion thing. But I also now don't trust Unsolved Mysteries and any of these places because they get to tell us the agenda they want to tell us. They get to take us on whatever road they want. 
And a lot of the times these reporters like Paul Belanushi or Bonushi or however you pronounce his name correctly, his molester was a reporter from the Omaha, Omaha Herald. So, you know, we can't trust anything that's on TV. I'm telling you, if it's on TV, it's probably a lie. Um, so unless you hear it from the horse's mouth is really the only way I can say, yes, this is absolutely true. The horse said it from his mouth. But if it's just a reporter or on the news, it's like, I don't believe it. So that's where I feel with Unsolved Mysteries. It's kind of, I don't trust him. Uh, so, so Unsolved Mysteries said, wait, maybe he overdosed. No, nowhere did it say maybe he got kidnapped by the child sex trafficking ring linked to Omaha, Nebraska and the White House. And, oh, no, we're covering that up. So let's not, let's not do that. Okay. Anyways, I digress. So uh, let's, let's go to his disappearance. On August on Thursday, August 14th, Bright attended a fair a second time, now with his sister, Esty. The two parted ways approximately 2 p.m. with Bright planning to meet his sister at 5 p.m. near the Ferris, Ferris wheel on the fairgrounds. He never reappeared. He was last seen wearing a black windbreaker jacket, a red tank top, nylon blue shorts, and a pair of black size 13 Nike shoes with red shoelaces. The following day, August 15th, Bright's mother arrived at a stepfather's house to pick up Jeremy and, and Esty, and inside she found his wallet, watch, and keys at, to their Grant's Pass apartment. After he failed to surface the day among his family members, she contacted authorities to report him missing. Law enforcement initially suspected foul play and Bright's disappearance, but on August 23rd, 1986, one week after his disappearance, it was announced that they were no longer suspecting foul play due to alleged sightings. Oh, that'd be so, so annoying. So now then they said, well, maybe he's with the Traving Carnival. Or maybe he's here and maybe he's there. And, you know, I'm going to tell you one more story about myself. In 1996, I had this best friend. His name is, was, he's passed away now, Eric Lorando. And we were bros. And one day he and I were talking, we talked every single day. And one day I said, Hey, uh, call me later, blah, blah, blah. And I get a text. And so I used to have a pager and I got a page. And so I called back the, the number, which was his house. And I, it was his roommate, Bob. And I was like, Hey Bob, where's Eric? And he said, he's missing. I said, what are you talking about? He's missing. He called me. He said, he's coming home from work and he never came. He's missing. So we call the cops, we call the parents, we call everybody. And they tried to say the same thing. Oh, he has a ticket for smoking marijuana and he has to go to court. So he probably ran away. He didn't run away. And sure enough, he didn't, guys. His truck was found in the New York, New York Canal. The same canal I was just telling you all about was found in there upside down with suspicious stuff. I have a whole theory about his case. And yeah, we'll have to talk about that one day. I digress again. But again, I have such a passion for missing people and their story because they had a life and they had people that loved them and they, and they mattered. And just because it happened in the 1980s doesn't mean it shouldn't be solved. It should. And I would hope that someone would do that for me. And I, I'm praying that this podcast right here will lead to the, the, um, the case being solved of Jeremy Bright. All it takes is Paul, really. He's the connecting link. All he has to say is, that's Jeremy. It's not Jeremy. I don't even know if he's alive. Let's find that out real quick. From what I can tell, he is still alive. Last 
research I did years ago. He was in Colorado, married, trying to like live a normal life. Now, a lot of people don't believe Paul. They look at him because <clears throat> he did horrible things to these kids. But you know what? He was a victim too. And the poor guy came forward trying to like help. And I feel like he just got more and more victimized as he tried to expose all this. And so as I play this last part, keep in mind, yes, he did some vile, disgusting things to Jeremy. Disgusting. But he also is the one coming forward, telling the truth. And he also was a victim forced to do these disgusting things. And he did the best he could. He he came forward. He told the truth. So judge Paul you want. I don't. Um, you know, it. it's he's the one that's the reason why I'm doing this whole podcast right now. Because he's the one that told the truth about what really happened to this quote unquote Jeremy kid that was kidnapped in Idaho in the 80s. So here we go. Actually, before I um, play Paul's interview or the part I want you guys to hear about what actually happened to this kid, which again, warning, uh, let's talk a little bit about Paul. So Paul Banashi, B-O-N-A-C-C-I, was born in 1970. He was being sexually abused by Harold Anderson, the publisher of the local paper in the Omaha World Harrow, and also a man with intelligent ties to pedophile friend George Herbert Walker Bush. Another key player not directly mentioned by Bryant was Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino, who is the sick guy. He's so sick, that guy. Who was an openly practicing Satanist in the U.S. military. And how Paul Benashi talks about John DeCamps uh, in the book, The Franklin Cover-Up, about Aquino, who was into child abuse, Satism, and his specialty was mind control program, which destroyed many people's minds in an attempt to make them maturian candidate type robots for the intelligence agencies. Aquino, although never convicted, is thought to be behind the rash of child molestations at the P-R-E-S-I-D-I-O in the 1980s. Oh, does that surprise anybody? It doesn't surprise Miss Mel. Not even a little bit. All right, so let's now listen to this full testimony of Paul, and then we'll definitely end this in some prayer because we need to be covered in prayer when we listen to hard topics like this. As I play this, there's going to be parts that are kind of hard to understand. What he's saying now basically is they picked up all this camera equipment, another little kid in Denver. They are now in Sacramento. This producer is filming everything that's about to happen. And he's telling them with plans on killing this kidnapped child to hurt him and molest him and things like that. So if it's hard to understand, I will try to communicate it um, to you or translate it, I guess. All right, so let's continue with this interview. This is Paul. Forced us to have 
and Tulsa would shake what we did was we would chase him down, we were supposed to chase him down, and then we were supposed to drag him back. We were both bigger than we were to do that. And so we drove him down after he started running. We dragged him around and stuff. How far did you chase him? About 20 feet. That's it? Okay, so you caught him and what did you do? Knock him down or what? Knock him down and drag him back up to the where the cage is at and stuff. How did you drag him? I grabbed his legs and then he grabbed his arms and just sort of kind of carried him back up and kind of dragged him over. Was he kicking and screaming? He was kicking and screaming. And what was he saying? Saying, please don't hurt me. Tossing this kid around like he was 
Yeah, you heard that right. Smiling. Can you imagine smiling while you watch a little child be tortured and murdered to death? Well, that's what Larry King did while little Jeremy kidnapped off the streets from Idaho, maybe. I don't see any missing kids from Idaho in 1980 named Jeremy, only Oregon. So I truly, truly believe this is the Jeremy that Paul's talking about. But I could be wrong. 
you know, but it doesn't hurt to do a little research and figure it out. With that said, Father God, we just pray for the case of Jeremy Bright to be solved. We pray, we pray that each detail of of Jeremy's life not be overlooked because you made him and you made him for a reason and a purpose and it wasn't just to be an unknown unsolved case. So as we travel these next few weeks through the 1980s and the kids who were kidnapped in the 1980s, may it be revealed who these kidnappers are because I believe they're all connected. But no matter what I believe, you know all things, Lord, and I believe that you will give these children justice because they are not nameless to you and you know exactly what happened and all things will be revealed as it says in your word. I ask, Lord, that people that hear this are uh, not traumatized by this awful story but that they can use this as a, a way to change the world some way, somehow, to bring light to other cases. Maybe uh, maybe people out there know something about Jeremy's case, and they can, they can, there was other people there. So, and it was recorded. May all the evidence be revealed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, next week we're going to go ahead and talk about Adam Walsh. And then the week after that, I'm going to talk about this little boy named Ethan has who went missing in new york who i believe is the dexter on tv but again i could be wrong he just they just look exactly alike we'll talk about it on that episode and uh, until then until we meet again have a great day and god bless you